Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and my cast is as follows. C. Thomas plays Oka Hien, an Asamar Bloodhunter. Max Guo plays Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra Artificer. Erica Flaidlin plays V. Scherzo, an Elf Sorcerer. Valiant Dorian plays Vasca, a Yuanti Bard. Hamna Shahid plays Jaron Cotter, a Dragonborn Rogue. Dare Hickman plays Gentle, a Triton Monk. Quinn B. Rodriguez plays Sitlali, a Changeling Cleric. And Austin Knight plays Abiku Ishtar, a Reborn Goliath Ranger. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include complex and complicated relationships, romance, references to sexual entanglements, fantasy violence, gore, fire, child endangerment, heights and falling, and destructive sound effects. Arc 6, Episode 13, Stranger Still to be Beheld, from Head of Medusa by Justin Philip Reed. Soft and cool, the wind caresses your cheek. The chill bite of winter hangs heavy in your bones, but you feel warm, light. Above your head, the constellation of Sen glimmers in its unending wheel. The purple dust of cosmic wind sifting through the crisp night air. In the distance, you hear fireworks, laughter, music, the ambient, jubilant celebration drifting up from Kinongbo beneath you. Green tea and wood smoke. That's what she tastes like. And then Dr. Aluso pulls away from you, Oka, their eyes wide and startled, surprise brimming in their blue depths. And in this millisecond, before everything changes, in this heartbeat ahead of the storm, your gazes lock and your breath hitches in your throat. He is beautiful. You love him, don't you? That is nobody's business. Uh, Oka, uh, hmm, I, uh, I, I didn't, that wasn't how, that wasn't how I thought that would, I mean, I, I wasn't, uh, wasn't, wasn't, no, no, uh, no, I mean, I mean, no, what, no, you, me, right, no, what, no, you, no, Oscar looks at Mercy. <laughs> Is this normal? 
Uh, I've never seen Oka so flustered like this before. This is, you know what? This is, this is ridiculous. This is painful. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have to, uh, I have to interject here. Babe, no. Babe. No, no, I got this. I got this at Lolly. No, Just, babe. Oh, watch babe, and learn. Watch, babe, please. watch a master mediator please, at please, work here. Please don't. You're a terrible Oka, mediator and we all know it. Please. Sagu. Why are you doing this you to me The two of you are clearly very smitten no. with each other. So I think you should. Mercy, I, shut up. You know, yeah, they're mm. <laughs> enough. And Shuhai Miao, the former current uh, paragon of Sen, steps forward. Their long white ponytail whipping in the wind, translucent face narrowed in focus. A winter breeze continues to howl at the top of this pagoda. We don't have time for such idle chatter as painful as it was to see this version of myself kiss my soulmate. Uh, I have complicated I, why, feelings. That's uh, not. That's. Uh, uh, I can't keep looping Adolin. The stranger, <clears throat> remember her? The stranger is only ever going to get stronger every time the loop occurs. And now that Makoya and Oka are one, it's time. It's time to end the loop. Oka tries desperately to compose themselves and keep the utter mortification off of their face as I think they just fully pivot away, just like back up, pivot, turn, not trying to show that their face uh, is super warm uh, and their eyes are a little wide. Right, um, what comes next? Four things will happen when I end this. One, you'll be sent back to the beginning of the loop for the final time when you arrive at the gates of Kinongbo, come up here immediately. I'll be waiting at the base of the tower. Two. When the cataclysm occurs, that's when the rift will open. I'll have the opportunity to go home, go back to my time. But I'll stay here and fight for as long as I'm able. The rift is only going to close when the anomaly, the temporal mm, discontent, is eradicated. Or when you are Oka. Which brings me to the third thing. The aspect of the stranger that hitched along for a ride here is gonna arrive when the cataclysm occurs. The loop has been holding it back. And now that it's ending, it will come. So let's try to beat it quickly. And finally, the fourth thing. Kinongbo will remember everything. The people of this place, they're gonna realize they were stuck in a loop and they'll recall every single one in detail. This timeline here will be pulled up into the present like light getting sucked toward an event horizon. This process is going to be jarring, chaotic, perhaps even a little painful, but don't let it distract you. Eventually, the timelines will merge and things will settle but we don't have the luxury of waiting for that to happen. We need to beat the aspect as quickly as possible. Any questions? Vasca steps up. Where will it arrive? And Shuhai just looks up and gestures at the wheel, the constellation of Sen. Understood. What can it do? <laughs> 
Well, I was pulled mid-flight, and this aspect was only, um, only a part, I think, of the stranger's true power, so I don't know what parts of the power it will carry with it. But those eyes are dangerous. They... they can do things to you, hurt you, trap you, places, fling you, cross the battlefield. They have all sorts of different kinds of powers, and those wings, those wings protect the eyes. And Sid Lolly turns into the white woman doing math meme. So it floats. Yes. If this aspect is anything, <laughs> anything aesthetically similar to its full version, then it will stay in the sky. And what if we fail? That's easy. Don't. We won't. We can't. So we won't. That's more like it, successor. All right. Are you ready? Then let's take it from the... An ox cart trundles up the main road. Massive wheels churning through frozen mud. A dancer twirls on a stage wearing a white fox mask. A fight breaks out on the threshold of an inn. As all of you, Mercy and Dr. Aluso included, settle back at the gates, the threshold of Kinongbo. Looking up at the hill, the massive pagoda, the glittering expanse of stars dotting the endless void above your heads. It's time. I think Oka, you know, does the thing where they stumble when they've been teleported. Why can't they just keep us there? Uh, and they unsheath Dream Hunter, uh, give it like one twirl in their hand. So, Lolly, you do the honors, please. Right, yeah. How much do we want the Pagoda to be intact? Lord Henka Oju would probably say all of it, but I think that we could make anything work. Well, let's not try to intentionally destroy it. It is, well, legends say it is 4,000 years old. <laughs> so it is a literal piece of history here in Kinongbo. If we could try to preserve it as much as... Well, well, of course, saving everyone's lives and defeating the aspect takes, takes precedent. But, it, you know, I, let's not break it as the first, first thing we do, if, if at all possible. Vaska considers. <laughs> or maybe we could level that thing and I could punch it up, you know, right at the sky. And that thing could act as like, you know, like a, like a huge javelin. I could launch at the stranger. You're gonna, you're gonna punch the entire pagoda with one fist, babe? Well, I assume I'll have help. <laughs> right, Oka? Come on, lover boy, what? what do you say? Shut up, Mercy. What? Do not make me sharpen Dream Hunter on you, please. Ha! <laughs> Good luck with that. My muscles are as hard as rock. Anyway, instant lolly cast plane shift, just kind of willing it into existence. Use it like pulls, like finds the part of the weave that they need for this particular uh, spell, and just kind of pulls it like you pull on a uh, cord at a bus stop, and uh, they go to the base uh, of the pagoda. Yeah, I like that. I think Mercy's in the middle of saying basalt, granite, sandstone, and then like <laughs> we poof, like arrive at the base of the pagoda, stone. Oh, That's well, not I'm, hard. What? What? <laughs> there are rocks. Of course, they're hard. What would you Pick know? The huh? soft. Do returns to Doctor Lewis and says, "I'll watch out for the the walls. Don't worry." 
Thank you, Cardu. Uh, sorry, Dewey. And uh, yes, Dewey is right. Those are soft minerals. <laughs> okay, fine. Then, then they're, they're as hard as gold. R right. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. There you are. And Shuhai strides forward, I think, their robe billowing in the wind uh, from the bottom of the steps of the pagoda. We have a couple of hours before the cataclysm comes. Prepare all you need down here. And I think on that, I'd love to get how each of you is using this handful of hours to prepare for the upcoming fight. Um, I think, <laughs> I don't think any of my stuff needs a lot of preparation. I'm not sure where this fight is going to take us. Um, so Dewey spends his time milling about from person to person, trying to be the battle strategist once again. Um, he's got like a scroll, like a blank piece of parchment, writing down everyone's ideas on what their um, the battle plans might be, uh, and trying to like draw arrows between them and be like, okay, so maybe you could like work with uh, Lolly's spell here, but uh, oh, that's, that only works if you're close enough and I don't know, you seem to like, I don't know, okay, are you gonna fly up there? It seems... Uh, yeah, Dewey, are you not gonna fly? At the stranger, um, it's a possibility. It's like number 39 on the strategy list, so. Uh, did Galtinger really give you those super pretty speckles on your wings for you to not fly at the stranger? Wait, you think they're uh, mechanical in me? Like there's some mechanical benefit to them? I haven't tried that. I think there is a mechanical benefit, the mechanical benefit of flying. Anyways, I'll put you down for uh, tanking hits and flying directly at the stranger. Uh, thank you so much for your input. Uh, Dewey stares at Oka after this wing talk, this uh, wing guidance. He didn't, he did ask for it. He did ask. Uh, and he just uh, puts his pencil down and ruffles through his bag for like a vial. Uh, and he's like, you remember the, the the wheatgrass shot sort of thing um, we did so long ago. I did, I made some improvements. Uh, it should help you with your flying at the stranger plan. Uh, I did some, well, try it. Oka takes it. The good courage, fine by me. Uh, and I think on that, Dewey, you hear a voice ring out in your head. Dusty, your sword son has been vibrating with excitement and anxiety, I think, uh, strapped to your body. And like you hear their voice sort of like thrumming around in your head going, uh, are you gonna let me out this time? Dad, am I gonna, am I gonna fight the stranger? Uh, yeah, so maybe we haven't done as much training um, as I would have liked before. I don't wanna like, we're talking about the stranger and I don't know what's gonna happen, but um, we'll see. You're. You're getting a lot better. Uh, I've seen so much improvement. Uh, I will see. I want to keep you safe. Okay, yeah, but if, if you're in a pinch, you can uh, you can use me. I, I want to be useful. I want to I want to fight alongside you, Dad. Uh, yeah. Uh, I will keep that in mind. And I think on that, we're gonna bounce over to where Sitlali is. I think Sitlali has like swapped their cane for her shield um and it's just kind of like for a moment they pull out the rapier and are kind of like debating 
what is more useful and then they put the rapier away deciding against that because it's going to be in the sky um that's kind of far away you can't really stab that uh <laughs> and i think while dewey is talking to oka she had turned to mercy and just kind of took her by the hand and went hey be safe yeah <laughs> I don't think there's any way for any of us to be safe in this fight, but I won't recklessly throw myself into danger even when, when there are other options to explore. Yeah, don't don't punch pagodas into things and I just we haven't gotten to spend as much time together as I would have liked. Uh, I've been busy kind of dying a lot about that. Um, yeah. So, Holly, I was joking about the pagoda thing. Obviously, that's not going to work. We'd need, like, we'd need a fulcrum that's a lot more powerful than me. But, um, listen, I don't intend to die here, all right? There's a lot of other dates I want to take you on. And I think Sidlali leans in and kisses, well, leans up and kisses her uh, and casts Death Ward, um, which lasts for eight hours. So the first time Mercy would drop to zero HP as the result of taking damage, instead she'll drop to one. And I think that that kiss is just kind of like more electric than normal. And it's just kind of like the weave kind of shimmers around it. And it's very homosexual. Mm. <laughs> what is that? Is that a new chapstick? Did you, a lipstick or what is that? Yes, it is new chapstick that I picked up while we were here. I like it. Gave me a little bit of a tingle. Yeah. Okay, go get ready. And um, she like, tell me this is too much. I think she like kind of slaps Mercy on the ass a little bit and then goes like to um, to see Oka once Dewey has like left. And very unceremoniously is like, Oka, you know the drill and like bites her cheek, like the inside of her cheek, like swabs the blood on to her thumb and like, presents it to Oka. And Oka kind of looks at it, looks at Sitlali, looks at it again. Do you really want me to lick your thumb again? I mean, I mean, is there a better way to do it? Like, would you prefer some something else? Blood magic's just kind of like that. Uh, and they bring Sitlali's hand and just kind of swipe it over their lower lip. And Sitlali casts Warding Bond on Oka. So, Oka, you get a plus one to your AC and all saving throws, and you are resistant to all damage. That is exact wording, is all damage. Uh, and also, I take hits for you. It's we together. It's fine. Uh, we'll worry about that part later. <laughs> and um, I think Salali just kind of like wipes off any extra and is like, yeah, um, you're going to be amazing. Uh, amazing? Yeah. Um, you're... Yes. And then they turn and walk away. Uh, <laughs> but they don't make it... Oh, do they... Are they stopped? I, I think Oka, like, goes to reach out, and then they kind of don't. Uh, and then there's one more thing that I would like Sitlali to do. No, there are two more things. One of them is easy. Um... Uh, Sitlali is also going to cast False Life on themselves, so that's six temporary hit points for them. They just kind of do it while they're walking. Um, and then the other thing 
can we do right before because it's kind of like for the group team yeah definitely Awesome. Speaking of which, uh, after your conversation with Mercy and Oka and giving yourself some temp HP, I think we're going to pan over to Voska. Voska will pull Dr. Aluso and Dewey over. And damn, I have a spell that I don't have to cast, but it feels nice. Discussing with both Dewey and Dr. Luso, Bosco will share the idea of casting the spell. It is basically a little bomb trigger where I, it's called symbol. When you cast a spell, you inscribe a harmful glyph on a surface and uh, it must remain in place, not be moved. Yeah, all that stuff. Uh, and I get to decide what triggers the glyph when I, ca when I cast a spell. Um, and one of the things that I can do is, once triggered, filling a 60-foot uh, radius sphere with dim light for 10 minutes, after which the spell ends. Each creature within the sphere, when it activates, is targeted by an effect. The effect that I would choose, and one that Voska would be most inclined to use, is death. Each target must make a constitution saving throw, taking 10d10 necrotic damage on a fail save, or half as much on a successful save. Would this, in both Dewey and Dr. Luso's uh, perspective, be a sound plan, or would this cause too much damage? She's seeking counsel. I, I have an unconventional idea that might synergize with yours, Vasca. Based on Shuhai's descriptions and Oka's and all the other Paragons, of course, uh, their, their descriptions as well of, of the Paragon nightmare, you know, of the eyes, the, you know, not just Oka. Mm -hmm. I mean, Oka. I mean, anyway, um, it, it, it appears that the eyes and the wings and whatnot are in the sky. I don't know if they ever come down. The only things that I think we've witnessed in these visions coming down are the monsters that bleed out of the eye sometimes. So how would you feel about... I could try to levitate a, an object into the sky and hold it there. And when it appears, it could trigger and explode against, I'm assuming, some eyes, uh, if it does come in eye form. Mm. What do you think? I think that that would be the most sound. What, what do you think, Dewey? Yeah, if I've uh, learned anything from my talk with Oka, is that wings keep the thing up in the air. Um, so yeah, oh, well, it would be me, out. not wings. Oh, you mean the wings of the stranger? Uh, yes. Yeah, if you take him out, maybe stranger fall? Maybe stranger prone to gravity? Maybe, but somehow the idea of it falling out of the sky is somehow even more horrific to me than it being in the air. I'll do my best. Uh, I think I can get it up there. The pagoda is, what, 80 feet? It'll probably be above the pagoda, so another 80 feet? That's, what, 160? That is quite far. I don't know if I... And like Dr. Lizzo's thinking of like the range of, of their magic here. Uh, the other alternative is for Dewey to fly up there. And for when it appears, you throw, you could throw the rock up at wherever it is and fly down out of the 60 foot radius. Uh, I did promise to keep an eye on Oka. Um, and I think that hauling a rock up there and then avoiding an explosion would kind of get in the way of uh, my concentration, mm -hmm. sorry. Uh, no, that, that's totally fine. Totally fine. Just options. Uh, how do you think, Oka? Uh, I mean, Voska. Voska tilts her head 
at that and gives Dr. Luso the warmest, kindest smile. She's enjoying, she's enjoying all of this. Um, And she says, I think it is a brilliant idea. It certainly frees up more space for Oka. And if it's easier for you, uh, Doctor, we could, we don't need to have it that high. It could just hit the lower third of the aspect and perhaps then it would be safer for those who are on the ground and only impact the aspect and not force you to lift it up too high as well. Perfect. Sounds good. Yes, I will find a rock. And <laughs> Dr. Luso goes off to locate a large enough rock for you to put a glyph on. Excellent. Uh, the only other thing that Vasco would do is uh, weave parable and just start swinging it. And this doesn't need to confer any mechanical benefit. I just like the flavor. And it plays like the most, like the closest to like an electric guitar rift that uh, we can get in a docket at this particular time. Just really hype music being played through the weaving of parable. And she will, using Parable, form a little illusory tale of us winning and what that would look like. And it is Silali hopping into Mercy's arms in jubilant victory. It is Matt, like, like Dewey is on a pedestal with the sword and looks like heroic and incredible. Um, literally like identical to that one hero that Bosca told the story of to make you invisible that one time. It is you mimicked in that position. There is a formless couple, gender neutral, and vignettes of people holding one another and sharing a kiss. And it is also like um, Oka, flying triumphantly with like a symbol of send the wheel upon their chest as they become fully realized and then the end is all of us stood at the height of the pakoda looking down below kinongo and seeing it peaceful and beautiful the day after Elon. are you using parables mechanic or is that mostly for flavor Mostly for flavor, but I can roll for the mechanic. I don't see myself using this uh, in the combat just because it's an illusory thing. Okay, go for it. Why don't you read out uh, what the mechanics entail? Yes, I can. Uh, Once prolonged rest, you may attempt to weave a tale into reality by swinging parable. Tell a story about the world you want to be true and make a charisma performance check. Uh, On a 19 and below, the story manifests as a powerful but temporary illusion. On a 20 to 29, I choose two additional effects. The illusion is indistinguishable from the real thing. The illusion lasts for a long time or the illusion is fully autonomous. On the 30 plus, an aspect of the story becomes real. We will see. What's my performance? Uh, pretty good. Uh, that is a 10 plus 15. That's a 25. So I get to choose two additional, 20 to 20, I get to choose uh, two additional effects. Because I want to give rights to my GM, I will pick these two. The illusion lasts for a long time, and the illusion is fully autonomous. 
<laughs> I love it. I think we see these <laughs> ghostly mirages on the ground of visions of victory, uh, suffusing all of your hearts with courage. And Dr. Luso, after hauling the rock over to you and getting you to inscribe a glyph on it, sort of is looking from the image of those two people kissing over at Oka, at the kissing over at Oka. And like, if Oka looks over, there's like one or two times, yeah, sure. Dr. Lusa will look away and their, their face, for the first time since you've met Dr. Hitsagaten Aluso, you all will see them blush. Like their cheeks sort of go a little bit red and they'll like look away. Bosco watches intently. This is very nice for her. She's enjoying <laughs> Beautiful, awesome. And now last, but of course, certainly not least, Oka. Oka's so, Oka, I think, gets the talk from Dewey, right? Uh, gets the blood from Sitlali, where they just kind of have to sit and be like, Sitlali's getting slightly better iron to in- intake. I, that's weird, I feel like, I don't know why that is. Maybe it's the time loop? They like just sit and like think about that for a minute, like kind of consumed by it. Uh, and then they look up as these like ghostly mirages start coming out and they also see the kiss, which is when I think they kind of look at Dr. Eluso and then immediately avert their gaze. Like, again, the like same kind of mortification, like like one of those comic panels on the side where they're like, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. Uh, but I think what Oka is mostly doing is they are sitting with Dream Hunter like flat across uh, their knees, just like sitting on the ground for a little bit because it is technically a sentient weapon. And the last time that they had any kind of real engagement with it, it fucking hated them. And it doesn't hate them so much anymore, but they're trying to, they have a whole soul now, Makoya's back, right? So they're trying to just get in, like bring all of those dissonant threads and like parts just kind of like back into themselves because they also have a brand new soul. So they're just trying to like center themselves, get in touch with their, like their magic, their weapons, like let Makoya, Makoya doesn't know what blood magic feels like the way that they do. So just like, playing with it a little bit, like feeling their own heartbeat, bringing it back down, right? Bringing it up, bringing it down, just practicing, like slowly practicing. And I think they get a little distracted because they kind of keep looking up at Dr. Luso and there's a moment where it looks like they're like, gonna get up, but then Mercy comes over and starts talking to him. So they like don't, right? And then there's another moment where they also are like looking off into Kanongbo, right? Kind of at where that garden party was, thinking about their brother. Also looking like they might get up and go, but no, they have to stay focused. They have to stay here. They have work to do. They have to stay focused. And I think eventually, like, Dream Hunter across their lap starts to get really hot. Like, the blade, like, almost goes red with all the runes down it. And Oka's hands are, like, still lightly resting on it. They don't seem to be burned by holding onto the blade. And I think eventually these, like, tiny flames start licking up and off the blade. And then eventually, like, when the air pressure changes, like, it, like, changes slightly around Oka, and a little, like, crack of, like, static goes up the blade also, like, this red lightning kind of jumping off of it, uh, as I'm going to get my first two rites of flame and rites of storm uh, on uh, an active for Dream Hunter. And I'm going to lose, ouch, uh, 11 points of damage for that real fast. Oh, but you're going to take some, too. We are going to take... We're gonna lose uh, that much damage, but technically I am immune to fire damage when I'm holding and wielding Dream Hunter, so I'm not gonna take any of my own fire damage. You are also resistant um, to all other damage. So that's gonna be like 
three points of lightning damage then. Um, I will take 11. I'm so sorry. So I'll take three points of damage from that. Um, as I think Oka, once like the hours are starting to go by, I think they also like, they're with Dream Hunter for a little bit. And as the blade starts to like become active and drink up their blood, basically like from where their hands are, they kind of like look up into the sky and they watch the stars, I think just for a long time, trying to take it all in as much as they can. At that point, Shuhai, I think toward the end of Adolin, when the cataclysm is close, you all can feel it. You can sense, I think, trepidation beginning to gnaw at your stomachs, even amidst your preparation. Shuhai Miao paces the perimeter of the top of the hill of Kinongbo and starts throwing up orbs of light around what will soon become this battlefield. Because of course, after the cataclysm, the stars are gone and there's no light anywhere. So Shuhai Miao, I think how they're preparing is to make sure all of you can see everything, even in the absence of the gods. And I think with only moments, minutes, seconds, perhaps even to spare before the cataclysm comes to claim its due, all of you, I think we find gathered at the base of this pagoda. Shuhai turns to your group and nods. Everyone ready? I've got something I'd like to say first, I think. And Sitlali kind of holds their shield up higher than they normally do and like holds themselves. Even though they're still stuck at five foot two, fuck you, Adam. Um, They see like something about them feels taller, I think. And they just kind of look around at everyone and their eyes linger on Mercy for a second. And they say, Honorary Hounds, today we fight for our future. We fight to survive so that we may fight her again. We fight to the paragons of past and they kind of look, glance at Shuhai, did not die in vain. We fight for Andake. We fight for the Weave. But most importantly, we fight for each other. So watch each other's backs. Let's kick some fucking ass, yeah? And everybody gains 21 temporary HP. Hell yeah! Into it! Mercy, like, lets out a, like, right? And, like, I think, like, thumps thumps her fist against her chest. She's got her a great sword out, and she's, like, sharpened it. All her javelins are ready to go. Dr. Aluso, I think, is maintaining concentration on a massive chunk of rock that they'd found that is, like, floating in the air, ensconced in, like, bright blue light, floating amidst Shuhai's other orbs of luminescence. And there's like a moment where all of you look at each other, you feel Sitlali's words suffusing you with courage and preparation. And then, one by one, the stars go out, winking out of existence in systematic lines from north to south. A black, empty sheet of oblivion begins to spread across the sky, plunging Kinongbo into darkness. As the wheel of Sen sinks into nothingness, Oka, you see Shuhai next to you, curl their hand into a fist, their face set with grief and rage. 
I think Oka's is likewise set in less rage, more grief, as they watch the stars go out, knowing that that will be the last time that they see them. And they look sideways at Shuhai. I promise. Do it. And they look up. And then the sound comes. Massive and everywhere, a rippling slashwork vibrating through the ether as the threads of the weave are severed from the now. The ground begins to tremble and cracks rip through the earth around you, trees shuddering and groaning, and that's when the screaming begins. So loud, so terrified, so numerous, coming from the base of Kinongbo as the world caves in around Endake. Miraculously, through this awe, through the earthquake, through the ripping of the weave, the pagoda holds a tower of dazzling divine hope against the empty. But that hope doesn't last long as all of you feel a deep, vacuous pressure building up behind your souls. This is the farthest the Cataclysm has ever gotten here in the time loop. This is now unprecedented territory. And for a split second, this pressure almost feels familiar, like the aura exerted by the God Shards, or the gasping weight of prayer. But then it sours inverts, pulls instead of pushes, drains and withers instead of blooms, and the hairs on your arms stiffen, your heart beaks quicken, your pupils blow wide, sweat trickles down your temples as a vast roaring noise like the howling of a gale force wind fills your ears. This pressure increases, increases, increases until a shockwave erupts across the sky above your heads. And then, above the pagoda, glitching into existence like a ghost trapped in static, is a single red eye. Its pupil is blown into the shape of a star. It looks... It looks... Well, it doesn't look real. It looks drawn on, almost. Like the confines of its reality belong to a universe rendered in a completely different logic from your own. Like witnessing seven-dimensionality in a three-dimensional world. It's not an organic eye, one you might find on a beast or a monster or a person, but rather the silhouette, the suggestion of an eye. A crimson outline. Its edges are frayed, sparking, like the end of a live wire. And this star-shaped pupil twitches from east to west, north to south, until it fixes on your party at the base of the pagoda. It's massive. It's wider than the pagoda itself. You surmise, because it looks huge even from your distance, that it's at least a hundred feet across. And then the eye closes, forming a smile-shaped gash of red across the horizon. And then a sensation 
like another shockwave as unfurling from its eastern side and then from its western side, a pair of white, feathery, rippling wings. Their texture is soft, ethereal, real, radiating a dull, sick red light and populating the gaps between the feathers are four more eyes on each side embedding each wing. They're all smaller than the central one, 60 feet across though, and each pupil is warped into a different shape. On the western wing, you see a horizontal pupil like that of a toad, and then a pupil in the shape of a closed crescent, and then a pupil in the shape of a teardrop, and finally a pupil in the shape of a swirl. And on the eastern wing, you see a pupil in the shape of a flame, a diamond, a bolt, and an X. And on that, the central eye opens again. And before we even roll initiative, Vasca, because you had asked, because <laughs> your trigger for the glyph was mm-hmm. to go off as soon as it appeared, right? And yes. I think Dr. Aliso had been holding it atop directly above the pagoda, so it'd be underneath where the central eye is. Uh, but before I think it triggers, Dr. Aliso cries out, wait, there's something wrong. Don't blow it yet. Okay. And I need you all to roll initiative. All right. Excellent. Love this for me. Ah. 12. 16. 10. 27. Holy shit. I rolled a natural 20. <gasps> Sit lolly! Fuck! Let's go! Okay. First to go is gonna be Sit lolly. That's probably for the best, I think. Um, Sit lolly takes all of this in and just goes fuck in Raven speech. Um, and is gonna cast Beacon of Hope on uh, the, the party. But everybody will have advantage on wisdom saving throws and death saving throws. And anytime you receive healing, you regain the max number of hit points possible. So you get max dice. Uh, so yeah, that's good to have. And I think Sitlali shoulders their shield and looks for a strategic point where they have maybe like partial cover. Um, they're short, they're compact, they're contained, um, and they're gonna look for partial cover where they can also see everybody. Stay. Sure. I think there are various boulders and statues scattered all across the base of the gardens, so you can easily find something to h- hide b- uh, between. It's called strategically taking cover, not hiding, just to be clear. You cower and grovel. <laughs> behind the, the, the topiary cut out of a bird. No, 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 you're, yeah, yeah, you, you strategically, <laughs> I think, maneuver your body behind either like a, lar- like a large rock of some sort. Yeah, and uh, that will be my turn. Okay. At the end of your turn, Dewey, make a deck save. Great, that wasn't one of the ones I got advantage on. Uh, I rolled an eight total. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no! Yeah, that is not going to be sufficient. That's a holy number, Connie. Against the stranger? I think that eight should count as crits against the stranger. That is a stretch! That is, that is such a stretch! I rolled a four plus four. It's, 
It was not going to be good. <laughs> Listen, maybe in arc eight, but not here. Uh, because arc eight, eight would be a holy number, but not here, not in arc six. So, Dewey, you and everyone else notice that this entire time, all nine pupils, if you count the central one as well, have been like just sort of scattering across the sky, looking in every direction. Like they're taking in the now. And even though like none of you, it doesn't have a mouth or a face, you get the sense it's um, collecting information. And the eye on the Eastern wing, the one with the diamond pupil is going to suddenly fix on you, Dewey. And I don't think you notice it until like you hear your sword son in your head go, dad, watch out. But it's too late. Uh, a beam. A pure black beam shoots out uh, from that diamond and like slashes into you. I think it passes through your body, almost like it's not corporeal, almost like it's a lance of frigid shadow as you take 36 points of cold damage. Well, uh, I have to roll to maintain concentration, I think, on Oka. Yes. I technically haven't hasted, I haven't taken the haste drink yet, I think. That's true, so you don't That's have true. to Yeah, and drinking it would be a free action, so Okay, you don't have to you don't have to roll to maintain concentration yet. Wonderful. Cool, I just take 36 points of damage. Straight to the chest. It feels like a lance of concentrated Arctic air just passing through your soul. Right? There isn't like a swirling eddy of frost that sometimes cold damage and Indake takes the form of. It's just a beam of black light that poof, penetrates through you. I think Dewey uh, takes it to the chest and like falls sideways. Uh to the ground, trying to like not take out anyone else that he's standing next to. Yeah, I think you stagger, but that beam is like precise. It's so large that I think it like cuts through your entire chest, like a pillar almost, but it doesn't hit anyone else. It was extremely accurate and pinpointed. So next up after that is gonna be Voska. Ooh, it sure is me, huh? Don't like that it's collecting information, but Dr. O said to hold off. So I'll try to find a different way to hinder this thing. Um, I will cast Bane on it at first level. So make me a charisma saving throw. Which eye are you targeting? I have to pick an eye? Okay. Okay. Uh, what are the eyes again? We've got diamond. We have horizontal. There's the west wing and the east wing. On the west wing, there's the horizontal line, the closed crescent, the teardrop, Mm -hmm. the swirl. And on the east wing, there's like a flame, a diamond, a bolt, and an X. And then there's the central eye with the star pupil. We're going after the swirl. I rolled for it. With Bane, you can target three creatures. Oh, so I can target three. So I'll pick the horizontal line, the uh, flame, and the swirl. Sounds good. Yep. DC 18. Two of them fail, one of them saves. So I'll have okay. you pick which one saves. Let's say the fi- the flame one saves. Sounds good. How does Bane work? Uh, when you make an attack roll or saving throw before the spell ends, you must roll a d4 and subtract the number. It is a concentration, so I'll have to concentrate on this. And I will now use my bonus action to give Bardic Inspiration over to Oka. Uh, Voska starts spinning Parable and looks at all the three eyes and snarls in this serpentine way, almost like this bit of foam or poison just spits out of her face. And as she does that, she spins Parable 
and points it over, like swings it over to you, Oka, and it just like touches your shoulder, but she pulls it back in time in this like huge flourish. And you will have a D12 as inspiration as you hear this music of a Guchin light plucked music. That will be, uh, and I have movement, so I will try to move closer to the doctor so I know what's going on. Okay. At the end of your turn, as you're jetting your way over to Dr. Aluso, you see, like, ugh, like their faces sort of scrunched up in concentration. A trickle of sweat goes down their temple as they're continuing to keep that rock aloft, ensconced in that cerulean energy. Uh, Fosca, there's, I don't know, uh, something really wrong here. Uh, I don't know why, but I, I get the gut feeling that that central eye, everyone, that central eye, it's, it's, it won't, it won't take any damage unless the other ones are taken out first. I don't know. It's just, it's that, just a gut feeling, I guess. That complicates things. You keep that up as long as you can, Doctor. All right. I can also try to sling it over at one of the other ones, but ugh, it's taking a lot of effort just to keep it aloft. That thing is 400 pounds uh, as Doctor Lusa continues to levitate yeah. it. At the next moment, I'll release it. Aim it at the other eyes. Understood. And also at the end of your turn, ooh, Sitlali, make me a strength save. You said charisma, right? Or wisdom? You said charisma or wisdom? <laughs> you said charisma or wisdom? Strength, I think, as all the eyes continue to absorb this information and almost like they stop looking around at Kinongbo and you notice that the majority of the eyes begin to just start looking at your party, like live, like looking at your bodies up and down, lingering on the weapons and items on your bodies and like the various kinds of magic coursing around you. You get the sense they're like analyzing each of you. So make that strength save. Okay. It's a natural 20. Whoa. So 19. Okay. So 19. <laughs> Not the two nat 20s, but one of them has a minus one. Oh. Oh, that is tragic, Sitlali. That is tragic. You miss it by one. Can I, can I use my uh, flash of genius because I just got shot in the chest by one of these eyes? I yes, just you watch can. As it's, I watch as it, like, as one of these eyes does the same thing I just saw it do. The same thing I just didn't see it do because it hit me in the chest and I yell over to Sitlali. I just go, Sitlali duck. <laughs> and you get a plus uh, plus five to your roll. That is sufficient. Okay, so what that means is, what that means is this happens. So an eye on the west wing, the one with the horizontal line, I think, is actually gonna like seem to scan the battlefield and then fix on Sitlali beyond the cover. Almost like it can see you even behind the rock that gives you almost full cover. And we see another like black beam shoot out, but this one's like horizontal and flat, I think, like as it comes out of that people, like a blade. And it cuts through the rock, like it phases through the object, like it's not even there. And it hits you, Sitlali, right as Dewey's warning is called out. And I think what this means is you won't take any damage, but you will still be moved. As almost like a tractor beam, 
up, you're like picked up from behind the cover. Like you dangle maybe like five feet off the ground and it like swings you kind of like hard, like off to the side, out of cover. Like it flings you right into the middle of the battlefield where there's nothing that you could hide behind around you. Like it gets you into a compromising position. Like it knew you were trying to hide and is not allowing you to do that. And I think you hit the ground and you tumble or you catch yourself, but you don't take any damage from being flung out. Okay. Uh, so that is gonna happen at the end of Vasca's turn. Next up is gonna be Oka. Ooh, baby, I'm so glad I charted this out. Oka, when this all happens, they, I think, are still like staring up into the sky and they hear Dr. Oluso and they are also just kind of like looking rapidly, like all four, like their four sets of eyes, like going, like trying to map this out. Is this familiar? Is this like, can they map this to their dreams? But their dreams are so hard. They are not a good dream prophet. Uh, and there's like all of this information that they're just trying to feel in their body. Uh, as I think their hand just unconsciously moves to their hip, uncorks that potion that Dewey gave them. They bring it to their lips. Uh, mutter liquid courage down it real fast uh, to get hasted, baby. Uh, and I think that like tether is when like Dewey gets hit back, right? And Oka kind of like feels it as Dewey like goes and reels as they like start to connect to each other. Um, but then their wings just uh, tear right out of their back. So I'll use my first action to get my radiant soul active as I think like almost in a reaction to its wings unfurling, Oka's like, I could do that too. Uh, and the wings like tear out of their back as well. And they just look kind of sideways at Dr. Oluso, who I think like Vasca is up with them now, like concentrating on the rock. And Oka goes just one big nod and they go up, 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 up. Um, and they just go wild and they draw like their sword up and off their side. Uh, and this almost like, these bone shards, right, that were in their uh, pocket also begin to come up and almost like wrap around the blade uh, as they get their third and final Crimson Rite active as a bonus action, which is going to be uh, Rite of the Dead. So they get that active uh, right away as they go up, up, up. And with that haste, I get a second action. Um, so I think Oka like flies, they almost like kick off of the boulder that Dr. Oluso is maneuvering up and around just to give them that like second piece of leverage as they like are just getting up there. Here, Dr. Oluso's call to target one of the eyes. Um, and that lightning bolt, there's something about it that draws them to it. Uh, and they are going in, they're going in with an attack with Dream Hunter. Sounds good. So make an attack roll. You got it, boss. 16 plus 13. I have my calculator open because I can't do math. 29 to hit. As Dream Hunter cuts through the air, you see the feathers of the eastern wing flutter in front of the eye that you were targeting, and your blow is going to glance off of it. And it's going to, the wing is going to absorb the attack instead. Okay. Well, it is going to go ahead and absorb 2d6 plus. Uh, excuse me, 3d6 plus 3d8 plus 23 damage, so I will roll those fast. Did you say plus ones. 23 damage? <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, so that's gonna be plus 23. That's going to be a total of 48 points of damage uh, for the first slice that they do to the wing. Um, as I think they're like familiar, like it comes in and they just kind of like 
almost uh, sweep back in the air and then slash down at it again uh, to cut with that. Uh, and do, do I... I'm going to do something. I'm going to... This is not a reaction. This is just my free action when it takes damage. Uh, as Oka just is thinking in overdrive and they are going to try to connect with it. They're going to uh, get their brand of castigation active. Okay. As Dream Hunter, roiling with flame and lightning and this simmering necrotic energy explodes against these massive feathers that fold themselves over this eye. It's almost like you're a speck attacking a giant, right? These eyes are like 60 feet across and each feather is like the size of a massive pillar that comes to fold and protect in front of this cartoon-like eye almost. And boom! There's like a shockwave, like two titans exploding and colliding against each other as your blade shatters against this feather. And you see cracks appear on the feathers in a way that actual bird feathers don't. Like almost like the feathers are made of crystal or glass, like like cracks spiderweb across it. And there's a moment where a part of you is like, huh, so this thing can bleed, right? And you, I think, even see red and black blood leach out from between the hairline fractures of the feathers and you reach in through that point of connection with your brand of castigation. So how does that work? My brand of castigation, when I damage with my crimson right, um, I will add that brand at no action cost. And whenever this creature, I don't know if this is the wings or this aspect of it, how much is connected to it, but whenever it damages us, it will also take 10 points of psychic damage every time it does damage on any one of my allies. And I always know what direction it's in. I could technically scry on it if I wanted to. Not that I have to, it's right here. But that is kind of what happens as I connect with it. Can I like- Make me an arcana check. Yeah, make me an arcana check as you form a connection. Fuck yeah. 21. The eyes, the wings, and the black red blood seeping from the cracks are simultaneously three separate entities and the same. So like mechanically, they count as separate creatures and as the same creature. I don't think you've ever encountered anything like this before in Entake. It's bizarre. It's like it's a tra- it's almost like a part of you, I think a part of your soul flinches and recoils in primal disgust or fear. It's like an inversion of the divine triptych. The blood, the wings, the eyes, body, mind, soul, an empty body, the bodiless an empty mind, the eyes ever watching, empty soul, mother's blood. Do you have any other actions on your turn? Yes, I have an extra attack. Smash those feathers. Let's go, baby. Uh, that's an 18 plus uh, 13, which was higher than I rolled last time. That hits, yeah. <laughs> yes, that hits. Okay. That was smack God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's roll these damages again. That's going to be 49 points of damage. How do you take out the wing? Ooh. <laughs> uh, Oka gets that one hairline fracture in, and they are good, baby. I think they, like, twirl Dream Hunter again a second time, and they're like, you shouldn't have showed me that. Uh, and they plunge Dream Hunter in and then hit the pummel on top, like, when you, like, crack ice open. Uh, and those splinters just, like, crack all the way up with the power of that, like, the storm going through it, the fire the bone shards like going in and cracking everything out from the inside. 
I love it. And yeah. I think it shatters like glass. The wing literally just explodes into oblivion. They just disappear. Like as like the bright white and kind of like sickly red glow emanating off of the feathers disseminates across the cosmos, you see it just sort of wink out into nothingness. Like as soon as you disperse it, it's just, it's gone. It was never there in the first place. Is that the end of your turn? Yes. Fantastic. I love it. So your brand of castigation is still active because even though you cast it on the wing, you t- it, technically you also cast it on all of it. So at the end of your turn, Vasca, make me a deck save. <laughs> me? I have a pl- oh, I have a plus seven. Okay, let's see. That is a five though. So I don't think that saves. I don't think it does. 12, I don't think it does. Nope. Bosca, as you're standing there twirling parable, you know, your eyes darting across the battlefield, taking it all in, seeing how you can best support your allies. I think it's a little too late that you notice the flame pupil from the east side, right? Right as Oka shatters the wing, that flame pupil locks past Oka onto you, and that same black bolt, I think this time sort of in the shape and roiling propulsion of fire, like gouts its way down, down, down from the heavens and blasts into you directly. And you are going to take, oh, that's not so bad. That's not so bad at all. A 40, 40 points of fire damage. Yeah, baby. I think Vasca screams because fire is opposite to ice and it like sears her in a way that she hasn't really felt this kind of like polar opposite elemental interaction in a long time uh, and and screams and kind of like tumbles onto the ground, uh, bits of her clothing singed and her perfectly coiffed hair probably covered in soot. Yeah, maybe like dangling a bit, like a few strands dangling in your eyes. I think so. We yeah. see like soot also like, like fire wafting up out of your her body. scales are charred, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, and I think you even, you hear Mercy go, Vosca, right, cry out from yeah. across the battlefield. She holds her hand up and, like, try, is trying to stable herself onto Parable and slowly gets up. I really like Ouch. that, yeah. That oh, hurts. That hurt. That yeah, hurt. <laughs> and now we're going to go to Dewey. Dewey gets up and sees Vosca take this hit and uh, rushes to her side and is going to... He's going to take Sword Sun and uh, give it a reassuring pat on the flying sword part on the hilt. And then um, uh, I'm just going to have Sword Sun fly towards it. And I, I go like, I'll be there in a minute. Uh, uh, and then I'm going to cast uh, Cure Wounds, uh, bandage Vasca up a little bit. So that's max yeah. heal though, right? Max healing, yes. Of hope. Yep. So that's uh, 2d8, 16 plus 10, 26, 26 points of healing. Nice. Thank you for my life. <laughs> Back Can't up to her full. Uh, Vasca kind of like nods at you. And um, as she does so, you see her begin to swing parable. She's about to do something it on her. Okay. Is that the end of your turn, Dewey? Uh, yeah, Dewey bandages Vasca up and then like, he's like reaching into uh, Forge, his, para- his god jar, his paragon weapon. Um, for like supplies and he like bandages Vasca up but then like keeps like rummaging and like it, it looks like he's looking for something but he's done patching you up but that's it fantastic at the end of your turn Sitlali 
Make me an intelligence saving throw. Leave the cleric alone. 22. That does save. Okay, so on the west side of the Aspect's central eye, with the wings still intact, you see the eye with the swirling pupil sort of like roam its iris all over the battlefield before it comes to a wobbling stop directly above you, like looking down at you. You get you get the sense that you're being watched, right? And you look up just in time to see a, a blast, I think, of thin black light shoot out from that swirl and start to ensconce you. But you're able to, I think, like, it's not a deck safe, so you are able to take it, right? And you sort of steal your mind against what feels like a psychic attack. Like, it's like you feel some sort of, like, void magic peeling and flinging and throwing itself against the confines of your soul. But I think it's the weave, the remnants of the weave, the strength of your oath that rears up and curls up and, like, forms a stalwart wall around your consciousness, preventing you from taking any damage from this. But the force of this thing's void swirl does, I think, scramble the mind a little bit. There's a moment where you look around, you sort of see everything start to blur, you know, a little bit, almost like you're looking through a foggy window. Like it's like a bit of a bit of like a confusion, like scramble sort of situation, almost like a mind fog. And I think what that means is the next save you make will be at disadvantage, as opposed to taking like a ton of damage and something worse. Okay, uh, so that's that. And next up is going to be Shuhai. Shuhai, baby! So. Shuhai, we could use a Tarask, babes. We could use a. Just a. You got another one? Are you gonna shout that down at Shuhai? Because I have a witty reply if you do. Hell yeah. You got any more Tarasks in that fucking thing? <laughs> I'll do you one better. And Shuhai cracks their neck in either direction. And you see them take a deep breath and. Blow out. And as on the exhale, we see swirling into existence sends presence across their chest, like a whirling disk of incandescent color of prism, uh, like light just swirling within their soul. And as it swirls, we see the swirl begin to sort of take over their entire body, like painting them into a kind of like void, starry silhouette of themselves. Not void like the stranger, but void like the stars. And you see little pinpricks of light glowing within the depths of their skin as the swirling takes over their face and like removes their features, right? And ribbons down their spine, like down their hair. So all of them is the swirl blackness. And then, Oka, you see wings sprout from their back. A perfect replica of your wings, except that they're like a kind of dark obsidian crystal, like opaline wing, right? And there's one beat, two beats, and they like pick up off the ground. As their form seems to expand a little bit, they get like bigger, and they reach into their body and pull out a glowing, radiant, divine greatsword from like the depths of their body. And Oka, I want you to make me an intuition check. So that's gonna be insight. I was like a who check? Really just me, but cooler, rude. 16? Something about this form of Shuhai, you see like their ponytail, I think, get even longer and turn almost into like a braided whip down their back. And there's something about this form that feels deeply familiar. 
in the same way that Shuhai felt familiar because they were, you were literally their reincarnation and they were your former paragon. But something about this form is even, it's similar. This isn't you or Shuhai, this is something else, but they are connected to you. With a 16, you don't know anything else. They flap their wings up to, I think, the western side. They throw back that greatsword and they slam it down against one of the eyes, let's say the swirling eye that tried to get Zilali. And just like with you, those feathers close over the eye, but they don't seem to care and they smash that sword against it for 50 points of damage. Just like a massive explosion. A massive explosion of radiance crackles across the feathers and you see it begin to bleed, but before the blood can even start trickling down its quills, another slash for 52 points of damage. And that thing is done. That wing has exploded. It no longer has either of its wings. It is gone. It just ricochets and splinters into nothingness. I think Oka kind of takes a moment and looks and is like, how is that better than a Tarrasque? <laughs> because this whelp and Shuhai's voice is kind of like distorted, like it's coming down from like a very long tunnel and it almost like sings with various voices layered over it, almost like a choir as they speak to you. Because this is the form of a true angel, our ancestor. And at the end of Shuhai's turn, the pupil on the western side, the one with like the teardrop, begins to bleed. Like almost like it's crying, right? Like this black, red, crimson tear forms in the middle of its iris and then dribbles down, like down out of the sky. It hurtles toward the ground next to where Sitlali is and it explodes into monsters, empty beasts. To be specific, the monsters that form are four chicken boys and one chicken leader. Yeah, uh, so I think you see you see mother's blood. It is Go ahead. arc six. It is arc six. Can we get a better fucking name for these terrifying monsters? So in the middle of our fight against a stranger, you don't have to be like chicken boys rain from the sky. What is this? Chicken boys and a chicken leader, I think, and I quote, actually. Fine, fine, then I'll refer to them as their proper name. How about that? I'll use their actual name that has never been dropped in the history of Transplaner until this day. The chicken boys are the wretched, and their leader is a howler. So, ah! the wretched, the, the four of them, these fleshy, featherless, bipedal, beasts with nothing but these large plates of predatory blank eyes and gnashing teeth these huge clawed feet all skitter into existence they sort of ribbon and balloon and squanch their ways up out of mother's blood and they turn and they see Zilali all of them do as does the largest of them their leader of sorts this ugly kind of seething kind of gibbering beast uh, with this massive almost like red a bright red kind of sack on its throat and these big kind of like seething eyes and spiny thorns peering out from its skin turns uh, and fixes its eyes upon you Sitlali and they're all going to attack you are going to take 24 points of piercing damage collectively 
uh, from the, the four wretched that scurry forward. Oh, oh, like one latches onto your leg, another latches onto your other leg, the third one latches onto an arm, the fourth one latches on, I think, to like a, a shoulder, right? And they're, they're like gnashing their teeth and biting at you, right? And they're trying to like get past your armor. And the their leader is going to hit you for 22 points of piercing damage in addition to that. It's gonna like, ah, like jump up and I think start gnawing and gnashing at your chest uh, as like the other wretched are sort of on you and like staggering you back. So that's gonna happen at the end of Shuhai's turn. Next up to go is going to be Dr. Eluso. Dr. Eluso, this massive block of glyphed up rock still floating in the air. Uh, uh, they fling it off to the side, uh, past Shuhai, and they're going to try to explode it uh, against the west side eyes. I think they're targeting one of them in particular, the one with the horizontal line that also has Bane on it. So okay. Vasco, why don't you roll damage for it? I will. Uh, that is 55 points of uh, necrotic damage. Fantastic, yeah. You hit that particular eye, and just like the feathers, the eye almost like cracks, you know? Like there's mm -hmm. like almost like a, sh like you're smashing your fist against a pane of glass, and there's mm -hmm. spider webs crack against those, that horizontal pupil, against like the crimson outline of the iris itself. And Dr. Aluso, yep. like sort of like, ugh, finally lets out a gasp of relief as the rock itself also explodes, and there's almost like a miniature firework in the sky, right? And when the firework clears, we see that that eye is like glitching out, kind of in and out of existence, but it's still there. And Dr. Aluso narrows their eyes and they fling out another hand and you see exploding through the air out of their palm is a psychic blade of sorts almost like a like a spear or a dagger of like pure blue energy that just like bolts upward and also shatters against that eye and they shatter it they absolutely just wreck its shit and destroy it uh, so that eye with like the the finishing touch it just just like the wings explodes into nothingness explodes into oblivion and Dr. Eluso is going to use their final action to just sort of like fling their other arm up to the other direction, like one to help Shuhai, one to help Oka, as they attack the lightning-bolted pupil as well. And similar to when the glyph exploded against the swirling iris, this blade also causes cracks to radiate outward from the point of contact. And you see it, Oka, like the blade like flings up right next to you and uh, causes a crack to form, but it's not quite down yet. You get a sense that another good hit will probably be able to take it out. And that is going to be the end of Dr. Eluso's turn. Next up is going to be Mercy. Mercy is immediately going to run over to Sitlali, who is beset by five horrific empty beast and she is just gonna let out a ah, get the fuck off my partner uh, and swing that great sword once twice and just slash the absolute shit uh, out of both the wretched and the howl like both of them are shoved off of you sitlali and i think like they just go flying off of you right and she immediately leans down to you sitlali and holds out a hand hey you okay thanks these things fucking suck yeah I know, right? Sometimes I feel like when they're chomping on me, they're literally sucking my blood. Hey, get the fuck off me! And I think one actually like gets up and like noms onto her arm, and she's like, oh, like shaking it, trying to get it off. You, she like throws it off, and it like splats against the ground and sort of like stops moving. 
and she like actually plants her greatsword in the ground next to you, almost like a gravestone, and says, don't fucking tell Jaron, okay? But she reaches into the javelins, strapped to her back, and pulls out a really shitty one. <laughs> like a really horribly crafted one that Jaron made at the end of last arc. Is gonna cock it back. <clears throat> and like, look at that lightning bolt pupil, right? That one that Dr. Luso had injured, but not defeated. <sighs> Here goes nothing. And she's actually gonna like take a running leap to just put all her strength into throwing that particular javelin. And it strikes true against its, like, it's on the far boundaries of where it could hit. And we see it, its ugly little form just like whittling and spiraling through the air. And it beep, like a toothpick just clinks against, I think it just clinks against the eye. And there's like a moment where it just sort of falls through the sky and like nothing happens. And Mercy's like, oh, come on, come on, come on. And then we see spider webs. Like spread from that tiny point of contact and it explodes into nothingness. And Mercy lets out a yes! Oh, wow. Well, I really didn't think that was going to work. I won't tell him, babe, I promise. Thank you. Yes, please don't. I want him to think that he's forever useless. Uh, and at the end, at the end of Mercy's turn, three of the surviving chicken boys are going to turn and like, like get on her as well. She's going to let out a hey, and she's like shaking like her, her leg, her two arms, and the howler's gonna like shake his head and also like leap up upon Mercy and try to attack her. But she's like fending it off. She like rips her sword off the ground and starts like batting away, like protecting you from their assaults, I think. She's like oh, forming a literal meat shield for you. And now the turn we've all been waiting for, the aspect is gonna go. So Everyone except Oka, because Oka's up in the air. I need all of you to make a deck save. 17. I'm gonna use my Flash of Genius to bump mine to a 16. Okay. Dirty 20. Sitlali, you save, so you will only choose one, but Dewey and Bosca have to choose two. As that central eye, that massive hundred foot wide aspect of the stranger, starry shaped pupil sweeps its incredible gaze across the battlefield. And a pillar of eviscerating necrotic, pure black oblivion light explodes out from its iris in the shape of a star. And as it cuts down, we see it like slice at an angle half of the pagoda away into nothingness. Where it touches the pagoda, it just boof, sort of crumbles almost like a black and white filter against the light and just disintegrates into dust. And as that like a beam of light hits the ground, we see the literal earth itself also begin to crumble up and rise and sort of disappear. And it like drags like that laser beam across the earth and catches Sitlali, Mercy, Dewey, and Vasca in it. I want to hear from Dewey first. Are you going to take a lot of damage? I'm not going to lie to you. This is a lot of damage. Are you going to lose something precious and or irreplaceable forever? Or are you going to answer a really, really hard question? Do I have to take two? Yes, you have to pick two. Okay, I don't It's a think you I pick can... two, Panera. Uh-huh. Love it. 
Um, I don't think I can take very much damage. Uh, so I will take the loss PNG and the hard question. Sounds good. And what about you, Vasca? HGM. I'm here with a with a bargain. Did Mercy save? She did not. I will take all three for Mercy to not have to take anything. What's your max HP? One one seven. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. I will allow this. I think you push her out of the way, right? That's what that means? Yeah. Yep. I think Vasca lassos parable around mercy, like Wonder Woman's like lasso of truth, and flings her out of the way. Mercy's back is to the central eye when this happens, and she's still in the middle of like trying to push that like howler off, like oh, you stupid, ugly looking dog. Hey, what? The? Oh! And like she's flung across, and then poof, comes the beam. Sit, Lolly. Which one do you pick? Hard question. <sighs> okay. Let's do the easy part first, which is the damage. So, Bosca, you are going to take 85 points of force damage. Okay. Straight to the face. Yep. As that beam passes over you, it's like the world disappears as the light covers you. And it's like your body, you look at your hands and it's in black and white. You are like not rendered in color anymore. As this black beam comes over you, it's just like you're cast in a grayscale filter. And like you see parts of your like body start to turn into dust, like like lift off of your skin and start to disintegrate, but you're like, you're taking it, right? And the only thing that is still in color is parable on your body. That's the only thing. As we zoom in on your face, we see that like one of your eyes is, you know, blackened out and the other one is still that bright white. Right? Yeah. Like, so those are the only things that can withstand this ray and come out, you know, unscathed in some way, shape, or form. Now let's get on to losing something precious and or irreplaceable. Bosca, what do you lose? I lose the Zither, the Gujin, as it just shatters. It is made out of this dark wood, this like cherry wood. It like matched the black strings, and in fact, I'll give you a bonus. The black strings that Bosca has strapped to her waist also disintegrate and shatter. The last things Atalanta touched. As it shatters and disintegrates into oblivion, forming little bits of ash that she desperately tries to catch as her eyes widen and tries to catch it, and it slips through her fingers. Jesus, fuck. Okay, yeah, so... <laughs> yep, I chose this. <laughs> it's almost like as, as the Guzian withers into nothingness, the strings as well, it's like you see just the form of like Atalanta silhouette, like flashing in front of your eyes, impaled upon that trident against her throne and that too is blasted away by that pure incinerating black light. So Lali, you also chose that option, right? Right? Or did you choose the hard question? Both you and Dewey chose the hard question, right? So both of you have to answer for me. Who or what do I witness getting obliterated by this ray? You said witness. 
Does that mean it happens? That's such an interesting semantic question. Hmm. Not necessarily. Do they have to be alive? No. Lonely. Okay. Okay, so Lolly, as the beam sweeps over you, I think, ever since the cataclysm started happening, I mean, you were focused, right? You were intent on beating back this aspect of the stranger. I think it isn't until it's screaming and writhing in pain within your own mind that you realize that lonely had wiggled its way back into your consciousness, had leapt back into your soul when the timelines began to cohere and coalesce, and you hear a horrific wailing sound and this discomforting, withering sensation as something within your soul starts to die, and you hear Lonely's voice just echo around you. Sit lolly. Please let me in. I can hide in your soul. You need me. I have more important things to take care of than you. No. 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 Goodbye. (sighs) And you just hear it's like final withering gasp before it just separates into dust within yourself as this massive beam of black and light passes over your shoulders and then it hits Dewey can I take the loss first go for it I think that Dewey had tossed I know that Dewey had tossed his sword son up into the air away from him towards the aspect and I think it is directly caught in the path uh, that this beam takes between it and Dewey. Okay. This beam of light sweeps across the battlefield, and I think you had sent your longsword up into the air, and it's caught in the middle of it, right? Like that, it's a huge, massive vertical just explosion of light, and you see it just start to disintegrate into nothingness. And Dewey, you hear a voice in your head go, ah, uh, open up the gold jar, please. Uh, Dewey turns back and like, tries and grabs that desperately in the direction of the sword uh, in the air. And then he goes to the god jar and lifts it up. Uh, I think he like tried, he's caught in this beam that's, Wholly unpleasant to be inside of, but he he tries and flies towards where the sword was, um, towards the beam. I think you flap up, you open up the jar, you like hold the jar out, and you feel something swirl into it as the physical sword itself withers into dust. Dusty, I think, manages. Dusty, no. <laughs> Dusty, no. Dusty manages to, I think, swirl themselves into the god jar and find safe haven, right? So their physical form is gone, but they're safe. And like, like the lid goes on and you hear like their voice ringing in your head go, oh, oh, that was really fun. And then it was really scary. And I'm that was so sorry. mostly fun again. No, 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 it's fine. Wow, it is warm in here. It is very different from a sword. Uh, yeah, uh, he sort of looks into the top of the jar. Um, I guess we'll figure this out later 
uh, and looks back up to where the sword has dissipated. <sighs> Goodbye, sword. You were a really good home. Do we? Who or what do you witness getting obliterated by this ray? That's separate from your the physical longsword. The moment in between seeing the sword begin to disintegrate and uh, Dusty offering up this compromise, open up the god shard, he saw in that moment, uh, he sees the note on the table. When he got home so long ago, so many years ago, to an empty house, to his daughter um, being lost to him. I mean, the sword son is like, he didn't uh, sort of ask for this. He didn't plan for this. He has no idea how it happened, but it's like losing Hana all over again. Mm, I like that. I think what's obliterated uh, is perhaps a part of your your grief too, right? Like it just sort of surges up in you and like consumes you as this black light sweeps across from you. And I think as that like fine that beam of light starts to sweep towards its final terminal destination, Vaska, you still owe me an answer on who do you also witness or what do you also witness getting obliterated? Herself. Huh? Vaska witnesses herself being obliterated into oblivion, just like she imagines how. Atalanta has vanished into oblivion. If you may, if if I may, if I may, Vasca and yes. Sitlali do something very evil here. I feel like the way you meant that was metaphorical, which I'm all for. But if I may, have it start to be literal. Because it's not just pain, it's grief and a little bit despair that washes over you, this hopelessness, right? And Sitlali, even as you brace and you feel the last tendrils of lonely get like wiped away by this massive force, you turn and you see Vaska hunched over on their knees, zither whisking off into nothingness. And you see the edges of her body begin to disappear. And you recognize a look, right? Vaska, what is the look that Sitlali sees on your face? Emptiness. There is a hollowness behind those eyes. Light faded completely away. The shine not there. Not even the courtesy of a mask. Vaska is just empty. And Sitlali, I think in this moment as the one who saved, the resident person who saved, you get a chance to try to reach out to Vaska in some way, shape, or form. I think, I think using your words at first, because I have something, I have something planned. I think Sitlali locks eyes with Vaska and yells, she wouldn't want you to go like this. This is not where you die. And Sitlali, you hear these words thrum out of your throat. But then when we pan back to Vaska, you don't hear anything at all. It's just the roar of oblivion surging around you, right? This emptiness, this hollowness, this nothing is what you're giving into here. Like Sitlali's words can't reach you. It was like Jaron, it's like you now. And Sitlali, I think you realize that, right? You realize that Vaska isn't hearing you even as you shout above the roar of this disintegrating, obliterating ray. 
And that is when you hear a familiar voice in your head. A voice that led you back to the now. A voice that told you not to look back. Perk up and go. Well, that's not good. We want to get through to her, don't we? Yes. I can help you with that. But it's your choice. What about it, Sipali? I like you. I think you're a good one. You want to be my keeper? Does Sitlali know what a keeper is? No, I don't think that word has ever been used to you, but something about it clicks. I trust you. Let's do it. Sitlali, when you accept Sen's offer to become their keeper, what changes? The first thing that happens is that now invisible bite mark from where Adam took something very precious to them kind of opens back up and that empty magic that oblivion just kind of it's gone kind of like smoke just kind of drifts off and out and there's a surge of something very familiar that takes its place. As their changeling magic floods back in to replace what had been blocking it, what had been stolen from her. And I think there's a, like a gasp. There is like, I feel like, I think for Sitlali, time has like kind of stopped in this moment. And there's just a moment of appreciating that they are, like, herself again. And then I think, from the same place, kind of the way alcohol ink looks against glass, shining, glittering, ghostly, a star map of Vendake starts to pour itself over her skin shifting like the cataclysm never happened like none of this has happened before the stranger before all of this and in that surge that sort of inkiness extends back past their shoulders out into the air behind them into angel wings no butterfly wings no. Raven wings. Translucent and shimmering. Half black feathers, half ghostly pastel feathers, just kind of like smatters that seem to shift and phase into one another. That is what it looks like. Hell fucking yeah! As these like pastel, shimmering, translucent raven wings furl out from behind you. And you feel Sen's magic surging through you, invigorating you. You hear their voice go, All right, once again, with feeling. And I think they stand at, for this. I think they finally have, as time kind of starts to move for them again, I think Sitlali stands and holds out a hand and these wings flare behind her 
And she yells, Vasca, this is not what she would have wanted for you. This is not where you die. And I think your voice cuts through and the lights and the glazed over fog behind the eyes like dissipates. And Vasca looks up looking for you amidst oblivion and sees you and she kind of just, your name falls out of her mouth. Salali? Get up, Vasca. Fight's not over. And I think that's when like the photo negative finally begins to dissipate from Vasca as color returns, her white hair shines once more, her beautiful dark brown skin and golden scales reemerge. And as soon as it dissipates, Parable is singing again. There's this tug of Gutin strings that whistle from it. And she looks up at you. You're right. This fight's not over. And she stands up. Vasca rises and swings Parable. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Okay. As on the ground, all of you start to recollect yourselves. This final gasp of the rape peters up into the air and flickers once, flickers twice, and sort of seems to end. But Oka, up in the sky with that central eye to your west and these other constellation of eyes to your right, I'm going to need you to make me a dex save. 25. Okay, you will take half damage then. Uh, so half damage is going to be 20 points of fire? I am immune to fire damage completely. <laughs> okay, yeah, all right, then that doesn't matter. Uh, as I think that flame pupil flickers and shoots forward at you, and maybe you even just take it, right? As that like black fire, those black flames ensconce your body, but they roll harmlessly off of your armor. And you are going to take also 25, that's half, uh, points of cold damage. I am also immune to cold damage. I think as they, because it's Dream Hunter. Dream Hunt, when I wield Dream Hunter, I am fully immune to fire and cold damage. You did this, Connie. You gave this to me, I, by uh, the way. As I think Oka uses Dream Hunter to like deflect both of those, like as it comes at them. Okay, and you, and the lightning one is, the lightning one is shattered. Okay, so coming from the western side, that closed crescent pupil that we haven't seen activate yet shoots out this like sort of inverted smile, right? Inverted like horizon of just black energy right at you. And you're gonna take 20 points of psychic damage. Okay, but I have resistance to all damage, so it's gonna be 10. Jesus fuck. I will give you rights though, Connie, because I just remembered after the shit ton of damage that you did to me, I had to roll for concentration and I did not make my con save, so Bane drops. Ooh, okay. Good to know. Not like that will stop Oka from taking no damage. God damn. <laughs> I'll give you something. I'm just, I'm giving the GM oh, something. Thank you for a little bit of a dub for me. Okay, um, <laughs> that's 10 total points of psychic damage. And the final ray, which is the one I'm most excited about, comes from the X pupil. 
Uh, we see that cross beam of pure, also like pure obliterating black light shoot out and hit you for halved is going to be 40 points of force damage, which is going to be 20 if you have immunity to all damage. You know what I mean? Jesus fuck. Sitlali on the ground is taking the, the numbers that actually hit Oka. Okay, my god. Okay, so I guess it can just do one more thing then. Um, as that central starry pupil swivels back up toward the top and locks itself onto you, like you're underneath it and you see it's like horizontal plane just list over toward the east, I need you to make a whiz save. You have advantage on those. I do. I didn't roll super great. It's only a 15. That is not sufficient. So you're going to have to choose two. Uh, as I think sweeping, pulsating, like there's a moment where we hold on your body and it's almost like a psionic shivering kind of wave like wobbles through your skin and through your soul. Like, and like you sort of take it right to the face um, as a massive wave of just despair floods out from that pupil and slams into you. So you are either going to take a good amount of damage. Uh, don't worry about it too much, but it's a good amount of damage. Stagger and reveal a vulnerability to the aspect or answer a really tough question. How are you doing on damage, Quinn? I'm still over 100. Okay, me too. I'll take some damage and I'll give up a vulnerability. Okay, you are going to take 86 points of psychic damage. That is 43 halved as that despair just slashes and pummels against your soul, what is the vulnerability you reveal? I think as Oka kind of gets hit with this, they just go like head over ass, like just like a beautiful, almost like somersault through the air. They're still flying. They're not falling or anything like that. And they kind of like hover. But the first thing they do isn't like look up and catch themselves. They look down and they are looking for Dr. Eluso. They would put themselves in harm's way to save anyone on the ground. That is the vulnerability. Oka, as you tumble through the air and look down, you see all of the eyes at once. All of them that are still remaining also look down. And all of them fix on Dr. Eluso, which is where your gaze is also pointed. And Oka, make me a perception check. Lord have mercy. I hate this. My dice are being so mean to me right now. A eight. Eight, a holy number. You know, you know what? You know what? Fuck it. Fuck it. Fuck it. Because this is the second eight we've got in the session. I know. I know. Max is like, I feel fucking stiffed. I feel goddamn stiffed. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. But, but I'll give, I'm gonna, you notice that that beam that had like obliterated half of the pagoda had like left like a literal trail of destruction in its wake, right? Like the grass is withered where it touched, like the boulders that were there are completely gone. Like part of a hedge maze is just wiped away into nothingness. The only exception to this is Dr. Eluso. It was like the beam didn't move to attack them at all. Whereas you see like a zigzag of where the beam moved to hit everyone else, it seemed to specifically not hit Dr. Eluso. And and now I think we are going to go back to the top of the order to Sitlali. I think Sitlali turns and looks up 
at the aspect and kind of tilts their head, considering. And those wings kind of shimmer gold. And the gold gets brighter and brighter and brighter as Sitlali cast Sunburst uh, on which side has more eyes active? Both of them only have three left. Okay. So with a 60 foot Um, radius, you could catch two. Is there a way to catch two of them without catching Shuhai and Oka? Yes, I think so. Yeah, there is. Okay, I would like to do that. Um, And they need to make a constitution saving throw. Okay. Uh, they do save, but roll okay. your damn damn. Okay, so that's 12d6. 28, so 31 plus 28. That is 59. Cool, they each take that. That's half? Oh, no, half of that. Oh my god, so they each take 30? Oh, yes. Jeez, okay, which ones are you trying to hit? The X and the flame, I think. Sounds good as an explosion of utter divine radiance just radiates outward from the atmosphere. We see those cracks form again, one against half of like the flame pupil and another one against half of the X pupil, right? As you deal a staggering blow against them, neither of them shatter into oblivion quite yet, but you figure another good hit would probably take both of them out. I'm gonna use my movement to go over to Vasca, I think and kind of like uh, Sitlali steadies herself and like lifts the shield between the two of them. And that's my turn. Bosca, at the top of your turn, if I may. Okay. You and everyone else on the battlefield witness something horrifying. Those shattered, wavering places where you destroyed the eyes begin to shimmer. And all of you feel like like a vacuous pulse wave of oblivion-laced energy ricochet outward from that central eye and just cause like the sky and the darkness around these eyes to wobble. And those destroyed eyes shake back into existence. We see like the dust like lace themselves back out of being glitched into oblivion. As this thing, it's not healing magic, Sitlali. You are a cleric. This is not, this is not restoring health. This is something else entirely, something with which there is no Andakan language to describe. This is bringing something back out from the nothing. This is non-magic. This is a kind of power beyond the constraints of the weave. And as I think we see that lightning bolt eye shiver back into existence, and then that horizontal eye as well. Vaska, before this sight can overwhelm you fully, those illusions that you had, eh? I think they were obliterated by that like massive black line that yes. also that also got you. So when you start to perceive these forms shimmering into existence around you, you think it's perhaps 
just the story you wove with Parable coming back, springing upward with their own autonomy. But as each silhouette around the base of this massive pagoda begins to take form, almost like people stepping out of a doorway, right? You see like a leg extend forward, like they're just stepping out of, hmm, out of time, it feels. They do not look anything like the ghostly images you wove. And up, up, up by that central eye across from you, Oka, you sort of see this void shimmering astral form of Shuhai let out a... No, no, this isn't good. This, this is bad. This is bad, bad, bad. Because I don't think Shuhai sees what's happening on the ground. They just see what's happening above you. And in addition to the two eyes being restored, you start to see other eyes beginning to open. And Shuhai's letting out a, the rift, the rift, it's coming through. I, I have to close it now. There's no time. Oka, I have to give you sin and leave. I, but I can't. Uh, I have to do this all on my own. I have to, I have to beat the aspect here and then I'll give you sin and I'll, I'll kill all these eyes and then I'll go back and I'll kill the stranger there too. And I, 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 and all of you hear a voice, a booming peal of laughter ringing out from the ground next to you, Bosca, and you see the stout and hardy form of Ikaika, former oh! paragon of Mahu, this bearded dwarf woman draped, I think, in like a robe around her waist, right? Tattooed all the way up her arms, uh, holding a curved Leomano in one hand, her laugh ringing outward. Ha <laughs> ha! Ah, so this is where you've been this whole time, Shuhai. You know, Juan had a hankering that maybe you were flung out of time or something, had a feeling that whatever was happening in the fight against the stranger wasn't quite right, that we'd been there before. So, uh, what is this place? Where are we? Or rather, uh, when is this place? And stepping, like, out next to Ikaika, we see Juan Ustoy. Half-elf woman with this long black hair, this dark skin, an eye opening sideways on her throat. A gutsian, a zither, not dissimilar to yours, Vasca. A omen, right, floating in the air, like in front of her fingers. And she just sort of says with her hands steepled against each other under her chin. No, no, Hikaika. Shuhai has been very busy for a very long time trying to do the right thing. Isn't that right, Shuhai? And back up at the top of the pagoda, Shuhai whirls, like holding that radiant greatsword in their hand, like void black form shimmering. Juan? Ikaika? Carvage? Jinka? Bazul? Pascal? Ying, what are you? And as they say each name, we see these past paragons stepping into existence, stepping into the now all around all of you. We see Ying, that gold-skinned tiefling, chuckling and twirling a playing card on top of one finger. We see Karvach, massive tattooed centaur woman, step right, I think, underneath where Dewey is, sort of reaching already for Sunshot, that glowing radiant bow strapped to her back. We see Jinka, 
step up out next to Vasca, this drow man with a robe tied around his waist, top surgery scars plain for everyone to see, also whipping a version of Parable in his hand as he looks at you, Vasca. We see Bazul, this massive Goliath woman with uh, two sets of arms, this bronze skin, long golden hair, blood running down her face from Sunder, which has pierced into her forehead, the first blood hunter of Endake. And finally, we also see Pascal, the small and stout Kenku with these ruffled black feathers holding a massive sight that dwarfs them completely in their feathered arms, sort of cocking their sharp black eyes in either direction as they take in the stars above their head. What are, what are all of you doing here? I never saw this coming from the future in the past now. And Quan just lets out a smile and that like eye on her neck also seems to sort of like wink upward like it's also smiling. <laughs> Shuhai, Shuhai, Shuhai. You might be the paragon of Sen, which is change, which is time, which is death in some ways, yes, Pascal? Death! 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 But I am the paragon of wisdom and foresight. This was one of infinite possibilities that could have happened, and I'm glad it did. Now. Let's drag this thing back to where it belongs, shall we? And Carvach sort of rolls her huge muscled shoulders and already starts stringing Sunshot. <sighs> you got it. Hey, uh, and like, I think like her eyes fall on you, Dewey, above her, and she sort of like, like a flash of recognition seems to stutter across her face. We talk at my grave in the future, don't we? Yeah, uh, it's nice to meet you i'll see you then and as she starts to aim sunshot at one of the eyes we see all of the past paragons also beginning to bring out their weapons we see bazul sort of fling open all four of her arms as more blood starts to flow down her front and lightning starts to crackle around her as she starts to levitate off of the ground. We see Pascal sort of twirling grim like it weighs nothing from like one hand to another, right? And then disappear in a whirl of black feathers just like Rev does. We see Jinka start to like fling Parable in a circle. I think the way Jinka dances with Parable is different from you, Vasca. Also graceful, but the movements are a little bit more hard-edged as opposed to fluid. Like Jinka moves with a lot of power and determination and strength and solidity like an earthbender, right? Versus like your more like flow, I think is how sort of he wields parable. We see Juan sort of start to play a note up and down omen. And we see boom, 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 like peals of energy and magic reverberate off the strings upward. We see obviously Carvach string sunshot, voo, and like voo, 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 like four different glowing radiant arrows just pop into existence as she trains them on like several of the eyes. And we see of course Ying, draw a card from the top of Gamble and say, huh, that's a pretty good one. And just poof, flick it upward uh, toward where poof, all the eyes are opening and their pupils are now swirling everywhere, locking onto each different, I think, new combatant. Like this was a series of events that this aspect also had not foreseen at all in any way, shape or form. 
and Shuhai, <laughs> looking down as Ikaika, the last one, sort of like starts to whirl her Leomanu in one hand, and we see a surge of water start to build uh, up from underneath her feet, almost to like propel her upward in like a column of steam toward the sky. Shuhai lets out a, <laughs> all right, let's fucking do this. And all of them at once, together, as a united front, unleash a barrage of attacks uh, upon the aspect of the stranger that is threatening our present. We just see magic and arrows and Leomano and various spells and grim uh, swiping parable just flinging into the sky. All of it explodes across the various peripheral eyes across that central one, and we see them begin to shatter, 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 shatter. But before they can reform, we hear Juan go, I don't think so. And she rakes her fingers back across the front of the Gutian, and we see it like the ambient sh scattered dust before it leaks back into oblivion, hangs suspended, like little flecks of freckles across someone's face. And then it begins to shoot downward uh, toward where the past paragons are. And start to like surround each of them in this ribbon of swirling oblivion laced darkness, like they're being trapped in the middle of various controlled chaotic storms. And it's Juan who's causing them to sort of like stay wrapped. Uh, the remnants of these eyes stay wrapped around each of her companions who use their own powers and their own paragon weapons to hold them taut. We see all four of Bazul's hands reach out and grab onto various tendrils of this dust and hold it taut. We see Ikaika like, like, I think she's like, woo! like falling, free falling down from the sky and like breaks her fall with a jet of water as like the dust laces around her. She uses water to like suspend the dust within a swirling mist, etc., etc., etc. until Shuhai lets out a, huh, well, I'll be fucking damned. And on that, all of you see the Paragon's forms begin to shimmer and turn ghostly again. That rift is closing, that portal, that brief eclipse of when the timelines cohere is beginning to pass and Shuhai turns their gaze upon you, Oka. It's time. That thing is your responsibility now, Oka. And you see remaining in the sky, all alone by itself, that massive central eye. Are you ready? No, but I have my friends. So I will be. Do right by Makoya. Do right by Oka. Do right by Andake. I promise. They take in a deep breath. When they exhale, that shadowy form bleeds away. They sort of shrink down out of this angelic celestial emissary transformation. And as the void, I think, leeches from their head simultaneously as upward from their toes, it all coheres in the center of their chest. And you see like that uh, white ponytail whip out again. You see their translucent eyes locked upon you and they reach forward and that wheel, that swirling disc, prism, floats out of their chest and above their hands. And as it does, those beautiful whirling forms of iridescence opens upward, balloons outward to form that of a rabbit silhouette. But in every color imaginable, filtering through every possibility, a rabbit with antlers. And Shuhai <sighs> holds Sen out to you. 
both of them are like up in the air, like flying, right? And I think they're like this silhouette against the bloody red torn open sky and this oblivion behind it where Oka extends a single hand outward like they're reaching to take the Emperor's sword for the very first time. With one hand kind of coming up to touch the front of their shirt as they reach out and touch Sen, like right underneath their throat, the soft part of the white fur of their chest. And as you extend a hand to touch the god shard of Sen and complete this journey of your destiny, we are going to end the session there. This episode of The Second Stranger was edited by Connie Chong. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and explaintrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out explaintrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanarRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanarRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very special thank you to our Patreon paragons. Alex, Brooke Bright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Hat, Conding, Lex Slater, Lyle and Peanut, Purple Mouse, Riley, Scruffisus, and Target.